0: My friends, God has been working to secure salvation for the world since before the foundation of the universe. He's been divinely orchestrating the events that led to Christ coming upon this earth, his incarnation. And sometimes we, we miss that God's working in the micro, the small, and the macro as well, and the big. Uh, so, and today, we're going to see God working in both. We're going to see God working in the lives of individuals, in the, in the nation of Israel, and also in the lives of Gentiles throughout the world we're, we're going to be covering a lot of ground, so I uh, hope you uh, uh, got your seatbelt on because we're going to have to get from 57 to 80, uh, we got in chapter 1 of Luke, uh, in order to get to Christmas next week as Christmas is coming, right? Um, so let's pray as we as we get ready to work through these and walk through these wonderful verses. Heavenly Father, um, I'm just so excited for Christmas. I can't believe that it's almost here already. And th- this year in particular has just been been so much fun for me. Uh, as as I've started preaching through Luke a few weeks back, and and how we have this is I think our fifth week in it. Next week will be our sixth week, and be able to go through this first chapter and just seeing the events leading up to your incarnation that we're going to celebrate next week. Uh, you coming to earth and being fully God and fully man as Jesus Christ, a, a baby in a manger that would that would grow up to to continue to save the world. Uh, just wow. I mean, just it's such an exciting time of year as we go through this. So God, I just pray that I know we all have a lot of stuff going on. Um, we all have a lot of things in our lives, good, bad, and and everything in between. Um, we have things we're excited about, uh, you know, with, with presents and all those kind of things. We have, uh, you know, dinners and family gatherings. God, but I just pray that for the, for this bit of time that we're going to be studying your word, that you just help us to clear out the noise of the world around us, and, and they help us to focus in and hone in on your word and what it has to say to us today. Lord, we love you. I pray that you speak through me, you preach through me, not not my words, but your words, Lord. And uh, God, we just thank you for being here, Lord. We love you. Amen. So let's just jump right in. So so this first point, as as he secures salvation, God is working through individuals. God is working through individuals. And let's go ahead and read verses 57 and 58. Now, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. So, Elizabeth has fully realized this promise that was given to her. We've been talking about the birth of John the Baptist coming and the birth of Jesus coming, and we we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth and the prophecy that, that Zechariah received from the angel Gabriel and how they've been just waiting for this. They were both aged. We called them veterans before to be. Politically correct. And so, so they, they, she had been barren her whole life. And here, this woman, this righteous woman who was barren her whole life, that people looked at as there's got to be some type of sin in her life because Israel thought, hey, if you're barren, uh, there's got to be a, a sin in your life. She's holding a baby at last in her arms. I mean, how glorious is this? And all those around her are rejoicing with her and they're glorifying God because of what He just did. And this would not just be any child, but one who would prepare the way for the Lord. if you recall, on verse 56, we kind of flew through last week, and it says, and Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. And so it's pretty likely that Mary has gone by this time, probably right before the birth of John the Baptist, because we probably would have heard her voice uh, somewhere in this narrative. She could have been there, but it's less likely at this point. Uh, And so then then we come to the, the next part of this picture, eight days later. And so, and on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. So interestingly, eight days go by, and no name has been given for this child. And so, If we look back in the Old Testament, Old Testament birthing narratives, the child was almost always named right after birth, kind of like we do here, where it's like, hey, we have a name, maybe even picked before, but definitely right at birth. But it's thought that by this time that there had been a a change in Jewish tradition. Uh, Because Abraham was given his name, he went from Abram to Abraham uh, on the day of his circumcision, then it's thought that a lot of people in this time started naming their children at this point. And in Jewish law, this child needed to be circumcised or had to be circumcised at eight days of life, which was given to Abraham and formalized with Moses in Leviticus 12. And at these circumcisions, there was a a Jewish tradition. This wasn't exactly spelled out in Scripture, but there had to be at least ten people there in order to vouch for the fact that this child was circumcised. Because if they weren't circumcised, they would be cast out Israel because that was a covenant of the promise that they had and so we're picturing a lot of times there were a lot more than 10 people a ton of neighbors and I would I would venture to say we could be pretty safe to say there were probably a lot more than 10 here because this was a special baby they had if you remember he Zechariah had went to to offer incense came out mute after he was judged by God we'll get into that in a little bit in the future so I, I would think that probably these people were pretty excited about what was coming there was probably a good group of people and then we get to the naming of this child, and, uh, you know, it kind of sounds like a bad Christmas party. Like, there's just all this bickering and fighting. And everybody thinks that they know what name this child should have except for the parents, you know. And so, so they're telling his parents, you need to name Zechariah. And it's like, I, I love, I love uh, Elizabeth. She just says, no. And it's an emphatic no. Like, if you really look at the Greek, it's uhi, which means in no way it ain 't happening it 's almost like a double negative no, like absolutely not his name is john and i mean it 's just 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 so powerful and But these surrounding people, even after her emphatic no, they're persistent, and they are pushing, and now if they can't talk Elizabeth into naming this child a a common family name, uh, and again, even that, Zechariah, the name of Zechariah would have been a little bit weird in that time, too. You know, you you saw family names like maybe a grandfather or farther back, but we didn't have juniors really a lot. We see that a lot more today, but that wasn't real common in Israel. So it was even kind of weird they were persistent in that, maybe because of Zechariah's afflictions and. And that kind of thing. Maybe they wanted to name him after him. So then they're looking at, at Zechariah, and I, I mean, can you imagine the scene? Zechariah is mute; he can't talk. And and I mean, they're making all these gestures. And at that point, there wasn't American Sign Language, you know, or, or you know, like th- there wasn't like a, a a way that they had ways to do. So sh- he- they're on charades pretty much at this point. It's like a game of charades. They're signing to Zechariah. He's trying to sign back to them. And finally, he's had enough. And uh, you can going to go a couple over there key into this. Uh, the picture, and, and we're going to see that he asks for a writing tablet. And so, um, if you remember, we, we already talked about him being made silent because he did not believe, and Zechariah was made mute because of his belief. And he says, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John, and they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke blessings. So in the middle of this interchange, he asks for this writing tablet uh, that we kind of see up here. This is probably what it looked like. It was a a wooden tablet with some wax over it so that you could write on it at that point. And again, he was mute. And what does he write on the tablet? His name is John, exactly. His name is John. So he definitively puts a, a hush on the crowd. And so it's interesting because not only does he write his name is John, but he says... His name is John. If you remember, this guy's went at least nine months, if not a little bit longer, depending on how long it took her to conceive, of being mute, not being able to talk, not being able to say anything. But we see Zechariah's faith come to fruition here. He now has the faith that Mary had. Mary didn't ask, you know, how it was going to happen, that kind of thing. She asked a legitimate question like she had known no man. So, So in what way was God going to do that? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Zechariah was like, dude, I'm old. Like, how is this going to happen? My wife's old, too. Like, this, I don't see this happening. So it was more of a, a doubting. Even though he was a righteous man, there was a, a struggle with this part of his faith. And we see that he now has grown in that faith. And, and we see that in a moment or immediately, his mouth is opened and his tongue is loosened and he speaks. And I love this word, immediately. We're going to see it a lot in the book of Luke. Uh, we actually see this word immediately, even in the other Gospels, but it's a different word for imme- immediately. This one is "para uh, ma, which is a common word that Luke uses sixteen times, while the rest of the New Testament only uses it twice. He loves this, just showing how fast God works. It's immediately, uh, that, that, you know, it just wasn't. And that's one thing I know. I, I read some commentaries. I loved, uh, you know, how they were kind of hitting this this faith healing, false gospel that's kind of going through right now, where it's like there's a partial healing and then maybe in a few months you'll have a little bit more healing and then maybe a few months like no man when God does something he does it all the way immediately Zechariah didn't just start talking weird and then you know a couple years later he started talking a little better and his tongue was loosened he was able to speak normally and how amazing was that he he lost his muteness and he but you know whenever this happened he did not complain you know he didn't sit there complaining and and being like okay you know what what's going on you know I'm, I'm I've been mute. I've lost nine months of my life. You know, I, I've been, I've been struggling. He, he didn't come back with just saying, "Well, how's the weather?" and talking kind of just uh, superficially from that. He, he he didn't start to complain and say, "You know, man, I, I lost nine months." God, can can you, can you help me with this? You know, I, I I'm so sad. Like I didn't couldn't even talk to my wife for nine months. We could have had a lot of great conversations. But but here's what happened. No, no, he, what was the first thing that he did? He blessed God. And I want us to kind of think for a second, what is the first thing that, that we do? Uh, when, whenever something good happens for us, whenever we're blessed by the Lord, what's the first thing that we do? What is our response when God blesses us? And what, what's our response if God gives us a new job? What's our response if God provides healing? What's our response to God, quote-unquote, fill in the blank, as we as we see there? Is your response to bless God, or is your response to get back to life as normal? Not, not to really even acknowledge what God just did and be like, Oh, that's great. Glad I have a job now. That's great. Do we give God the credit for what he has done for us? And at this point, Zechariah blesses God, and we'll get to more of that in his, in his uh, hymn that we're going to get to here in a little bit. But moving forward, we see what happens to the people around in Luke 1, 65 and 66 and fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through at, through all the hill country of Judea and all those who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him so moving forward we see that the crowd is there and fear falls upon them I love that that word, just falling upon them like a person. We talked about that before, when the fear fell upon uh, Zechariah, when the G- angel Gabriel's there, and, and Mary, the same thing. It's almost like this this humanistic fear, like almost like a person falling on you. How how, how there's that uh, anthropomorphism is the word we use for that. And and this is the right response to God's moving. It, it's a reverent response and a respect for what God's done. And I love what theolog- theologian. Uh, John Nolan says when he summarizes this account that we've been going through. A totally unlikely pregnancy, a strange insistence on a completely unexpected name, and the subsequent instantaneous recovery of Zechariah combine to produce that involuntary response of fear and the presence of the divine activity, which Luke is so fond of noting. So throughout this, we see that God has been working in individuals. He's been working in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And now we see he's working the, the individuals that were present during this, this place. And we see that the, the news is starting to spread out throughout the hillside. These people that have experienced and, and see, just saw an, a miracle, just saw Zechariah, his mouth just open after nine plus months of not being able to talk. And now this, this word is continuing to go on. And we see that God is continuing to secure salvation for his people. And as we zoom out a little bit, as we've been talking about individuals, now we're going to zoom out a little bit, and we're going to see the point, the second point. As he secures salvation, God is working to save Israel. God is working to save Israel. So we are entering what is called the Benedictus, or Zechariah's hymn. Uh, Those are kind of the two names for this section of Scripture. And the word benediction actually means a declaration of, or a supplication for, divine blessing. So remember that as the, what, what this overarching theme is as we go through this scripture. And this first half that we're going to go through here uh, really responds more to Israel, the nation of Israel, and the second half you see a little bit of that too, but it's going to start to zoom out and become for everyone as we go through this wonderful picture here. So let's go ahead and get to verse 67 first. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying... "So." Here's another instance in which the Holy Spirit is at work. And, and I I'll, I'll love, like Luke points out the Holy Spirit working over and over and over. It's going to be a common theme as we go through this book. We're going to see the Holy Spirit working. And we've already seen just in this first chapter, how, how have we seen the Holy Spirit work? We, we've seen John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit from birth and leap in his mother's womb when Mary comes by with the baby Jesus in her womb, only a couple of days old. Uh, for for Jesus and six months old for John we've seen Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit as she has prophesied and now we, and we saw now we see Zechariah prophesying as well and we're only in the first chapter and we're watching the Holy Spirit do all of this work and so we we move on to verse sixty eight and Zechariah says this as he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the Lord of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So number one, God has visited and redeemed his people, if you have your hand out there. And this is quite a statement. So this word visited means that God has come to bless his people. He has come to deliver his people, but but it actually is even more than deliver. We see this word redeemed as we move forward And it means more than just being delivered, although being delivered is certainly implied by that term. But to be redeemed means that you've been bought back from something. And so we know today as we look at this whole thing that we have been redeemed by Jesus on the cross. Jesus took our punishment on the cross, the punishment that we deserved because we are all sinners for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The, The sin that deserved death, Jesus took on the cross. And so he bought us back from death Through his redemption. And we see that promise coming even as we go through right here. We've been bought with a price as we see in First Corinthians six twenty. So moving forward to verse sixty-nine through seventy-one, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So number two, God has raised up a horn of salvation from the house of David as spoken by the prophets of old. So what does he mean by a horn of salvation? We don't exactly use that kind of terminology right now, but if, you know, if anybody's a hunter, you think of a, a buck, and when you think of the most points, why do people say, I got an 11 point, or I got a 12 point? Because that's a sign of power. That's a sign of how big that animal was. That's a sign, and we see with rams, they have horns. We see rhinoceros, rhinoceros, I don't know how you say multiple rhinoceroses, But, but, but we see that, and they, their horn is their power. It's, it's their weapon, and so... This, this power, this horn of salvation is not John the Baptist. This horn of salvation is is Jesus Christ. He is the all-powerful one who comes to, d- to destroy death on the cross. He's the one that comes to earth to destroy death for us so that we can put our faith in him. It, it, is, it refers to the one who in whom 300-plus Old Testament prophecies come true, as we've mentioned already. And it's interesting to note that this term salvation occurs About 11 times in Luke's two books, but it's only found one time in the other Gospels. Uh, Luke really wants to continue to remind us about salvation. Not that the other Gospels don't, but he loves that term salvation. And obviously, we think that he probably got that from his traveling partner and mentor, Paul, who uses that term many times in his writings. And this salvation refers to those who hate us. and So this is kind of, we, we see that there's a nationalistic component of this, that there are those who hate Israel, and, and so there's going to be deliverance for them. But we know that this also has a more personal view. Redemption is, is more intimate and personal to be ransomed and bought back, and Luke sees that as he writes uh, Zechariah's prophecy here through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then moving forward to this last part, we see that God works to save Israel through... Verses 70 through 75. To show the mercy he promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Number three, God is fulfilling his holy covenant of deliverance given to Abraham. How how beautiful is that in this in verse seventy two? So to show mercy, that he promised, and this this mercy and this word to show mercy, it really doesn't. Fully, we don't. We can't fully grasp what what God is really saying there in our English. To show something seems kind of passive. You know, I could I could show you one of Adam's picks that he usually throws uh, at some point, or one of my I could show you one of my sticks that I usually throw uh, during practice. Luckily, I haven't hit anybody yet. But you know, so we can just show, and that's more of a passive thing. But this word, to show mercy, it actually means to do mercy. That that that. God doesn't just show mercy. It's not a passive mercy. It's an active form of mercy. God has done mercy. As theologian Joel Green implies, God does not pon- just ponder. God acts. It, it's, it's an action thing. Moving on to what we already read, verses 73 through 75, but we see that Zechariah reflects back on the covenant to Abraham. Uh, this covenant of promised deliverance and acceptance through this future Messiah that was coming. And, and if we look at this point, Israel was in a pretty bad place uh, historically at this point. They're oppressed by the Romans. The, the Romans are, are, are dictating everything that they do. They, they really don't have much power themselves. They're powerless. Uh, they're being mistreated overtaxed uh, you know just things aren't looking really really good and there's this underlying fear they remember back a few hundred years when the temple got destroyed the first time well well Herod the great had rebuilt this temple not too long ago back in in the BC just a few decades before this and there's this underlying fear that they know something's going to happen you know they've already had it destroyed before just got rebuilt and so there's this power struggle there's a lot going on there but there was this hope that one day Israel would be able to worship God without fear. You know, right now they went to the temple, but they always had that fear. What if the Romans come in and slaughter us? What if they come in and they're just tired of us and they're, they're done with this? What, 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 what's going to happen here? And they would be rescued from the hands of their enemies. And we know that, that, that this promise, this part of the promise was not fully realized at the first coming of Jesus Christ. It will be in the Millennial Kingdom. Israel will go into the Millennial Kingdom as Messianic Jews, as we've talked about already in the Tribulation for that 144,000 sealed, that there is a full fulfillment coming. But we know there's also a partial fulfillment of this as well. And those those Israelites who put their faith in Jesus Christ didn't need the temple anymore, right? And us as well, and we can, we can relate. But they didn't need the temple anymore. They didn't have to fear that they couldn't go and worship God because... They could worship God wherever they were, just like we can. We can worship God here. We can worship God somewhere else. We are the temple of God. We don't have to go to a temple. And so there there was a blessing that they didn't have to fear that their earthly temple would be destroyed and they would be taken somewhere else, and they couldn't worship God anymore because God would be in them. How amazing is that as the Holy Spirit? Yet Israel does have that further fulfillment to come, as we've talked about. But lastly, as we move on to the, to the last part of this, this Benedictus, this Zechariah's hymn, we see that as he secures salvation, God is working to save infidels. That's a tough word, isn't it? I know it started with I. But, and it was hard to write because I mean, you know, it really refer, it refers kind of to us. That's a hard word because the word infidel actually means an unbeliever, one who rejects a system of belief. In our case, one who rejects God. And we all were infidels at one point. We all were unbelievers. We were Gentile sinners, and if we're looking back here, we were on the outside. You know, we hadn't, we didn't know who God really was, and we still were judged because, or we would have been judged because we still rejected God. We all are born with the knowledge of God, so no man out of excuse. But we lived in, in, in rebellion. Our ancestors lived in rebellion. But let's continue to see how this this verse applies to us, even though, or these verses apply to us, even though it seems a little bit. Uh, maybe offensive, but but that was us. We, we were lost in our sin. Our ancestors were as well. So Luke 1, step 76 through 77 says this, And you, child, this is talking about John the Baptist at this point, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. So these first two verses uh, are speaking to the future work of, of John the Baptist. He is to prepare the way for the Messiah. So John is effectively the last of the old covenant prophets. And in fact, he's kind of like a hybrid, uh, you know, a hybrid model. Everybody's got, you know, got electric cars, you got gas, you got hybrids. So he's kind of like that in between. He's that switch over prophet. He he, kind of a little bit of both there. And he prophesied to Israel about one who was coming with the new covenant. Uh, The old covenant was becoming obsolete, a new covenant. He's a special prophet at that. And remember, at the time of John the Baptist, how long had Israel went without hearing from God at all? 400 years. So we have four centuries of complete silence from God. You know, you look back through the Old Testament, and there is prophet after prophet after prophet. Now, I will say this, despite all those prophets, Israel continues to rebel, 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 and end up in really bad situations. But God continues to speak, and is continuing to be gracious despite Israel's blatant disregard for his word they continue he continues to speak to them but this silence for four centuries had to be deafening. And we see Malachi, who is the last prophet of the Lord of the Old Covenant, of the Old Testament, say this. at the ver- These last two verses of your Old Testament, they're the last two things that God said to his people. And, and God says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So as they awaited this prophet that would be sent, there was quite a, a historical roller coaster. So we don't, we don't see this in the Bible. We see this from other historical uh, documents. We see this even from Israel's history uh, as they go. But these 400 years were, were kind of rough. They had some some areas, some places where they were able to worship God freely, other places where they were very oppressed. And that oppression did not get any worse than in 171 B.C., when the Seleucid king Antiochus IV, who referred to himself as Antiochus Epiphanes, which means illustrious one or God made manifest. Uh, that's quite the term for yourself if you're going to call yourself Epiphanes. Uh, wow, that's you, you've, you've reached a, a pretty bad moment at that point. So he begins persecuting the Jews and he sells the priesthood. So at this point, I mean, just, just really doing bad stuff. But it doesn't just stop there. This horribly evil ruler went on to desecrate the Holy of Holies. Remember how we talked about how Israel was fearful that their temple would be desecrated or or destroyed again? Well, they they just had this done uh, even again in 171 where Antiochus Epiphanes comes into the temple. He steals all the treasuries out of the temple. He sets up an altar to Zeus, and then he proceeds to sacrifice pigs on their altar, which obviously back then that was an unclean animal. It was, a, it was the, a, a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. He, he was a type of Antichrist as the one that is to come. And fast forward, now we're at about 4 to 6 B.C., and the Romans have taken over the, the territory of Israel decades prior, and Herod the Great is in charge, and that's where we are historically speaking at this point. But, but if, as you see, you know, Israel went through 400 years of, of a lot of ups and downs, a lot of trouble, a lot of heartache, and they've had this promised child, so kind of keep that in mind. They've been waiting for this prophet to come for 400 years, and then here he is, John the Baptist. Here he comes, and this is what, and then so so, so we see, and you child will be called prophet of the Most High, as we talked about before, going back to these these two verses. But now this promised forerunner has finally arrived, John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way of the Lord. Praise be to God. Right? I mean, you would think this would be amazing news. They'd waited for so long. And he gives knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, as we see in this last verse. But John would not be the one to save anyone. He would be the one preparing the way for the one who would, namely Jesus Christ. And Zechariah highlights an important fact here, mentioning the forgiveness of of sins. He highlights that that there's something bigger than this political deliverance. And Israel, the, the reason they rejected Christ is, we'll find out even more so as we go through this book, the reason they rejected Christ is they wanted political deliverance. They wanted the Romans to be cast out. They wanted to run their own show. They wanted a king that would kind of come and rule on earth. And praise be to God, the millennial kingdom will come one day, but not then. That was not why Christ came. But 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 we see here now that there's there's another part of this, that that John would go forth and re- and preach repentance to call people to turn for, to the coming Messiah. and We see it prophesied earlier in this chapter, Luke 1, 17, and he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience, the disobedience to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people for the Lord, a people prepared. And then we see him fulfill that, actually, another couple of chapters over in Luke 3, 3, and he went into all the region around the Jordan baptizing or proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins so as zechariah is prophesying this can you imagine like just saying things the holy spirit is speaking through you your brain's not fully there it's kind of there but you know you're like wow like that's th- like as he's saying this about his son can you imagine just how he felt like wow like this is what you're doing through this child that i'm looking at right now and his son would point others to salvation through the Messiah. But this prophecy gets a lot better. You know, it doesn't just stop with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, great guy. I mean, it's amazing to see what he did and, and what God did through him. But let's go on to this last, this, this last part here when it really gets good. Luke 1, 78 through 79. Because of the tender mercy of, God, of our God, whereby the sunrise shall vid- visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Sometimes people view God as overly harsh and judgmental, merciless. But we see here that God has tender mercy. And and, and this word for tender mercy here is a little different than what we saw before. It's, it's a splanknik type of love, a, a gut type love. It's, it's a love for, that, that was said from the innermost being. It's God is love, right? And it's coming from his innermost being and in mer- in his mercy in his innermost being comes this promise. The sunrise shall visit us from on high and give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. My friends, this sunrise can no better be spoken of as the sunrise, S-O-N, is what we're seeing here. And it's so beautiful. Jesus Christ is what the light of the world, the sunrise. And we're seeing that he, is, he came to visit us from on high. And some versions even say that the sunrise has dawned upon the earth. I love that. You know, it's all dark, darkness everywhere in the sun. If you've ever watched a sunrise, how beautiful it is. It goes from being like pitch black to boom, the sun comes out and it's just shining. That is the picture that we have of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, as we're going to see next week. He came to save his people from their sins. Those who, who struggle with the sin that so easily entangles, as we see in Hebrews 12.1. Those who sit in darkness, and the shadow of death. here, here Matthew relay this as well in Matthew 4.16. He says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned my friends, that was us. We were in the shadow of death. We were in complete darkness. We could not see what was in front of us. We thought we could, but we couldn't. And the light, the sunrise came upon us, and we were able to respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. We were able to give our lives to Christ and actually see things clearly. How amazing is that? But my friends, a lot of people think that they walk in the light, but they don't. They're, they're still groping around in darkness. They're still trying to figure out where they're going to be fulfilled. Is it going to be their job? Is it going to be their spouse? Is it going to be their children? Is it going to be the next good thing, next big thing, next investment that they get that's going to fulfill them? And they're still groping around. They don't know that they're, dark, they're in the darkness, but they are. My friends, are we, are we sharing the light of the world? Are we telling people about who the light of the world is? As we move forward, we, we see that that light of the world, Jesus Christ, has came so that people don't have to walk around in darkness. John 8, 12 says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. H- how much do you love that? Jesus says you will have him. You will have the light of life. It's not saying that you'll walk with the light of life. The, you know, it's, it's not like the light that you hold. It's the light of life will come and dwell you in the form of the Holy Spirit. How beautiful is that prophecy, I mean and that promise that we have. And and my friends, we we have those little boxes over there that have lights in them, and they actually in fact say that very verse on them, John eight twelve, and it says Light of the World. And if I could encourage you, you have so many neighbors and friends. We've, we've already taken a bunch of those Bibles. I'm so proud of you all for, for getting out of your comfort zone and handing those out. Continue to do that. I, and we still have some more if you want to take some more in some bags over there. But if you want to also just take some pen lights and just hand them around to your neighbors and, and, and say, hey. I just wanted to let you know that Jesus is the light of the world. I, I pray that you know that. And, and, and see what, if, if a gospel conversation comes up, they may just take it and say, hey, I love this. This is a really cool LED flashlight. I'll keep it in my car and probably never look at it again. But they may look at it and be like, man, you know, things have been pretty dark. You know, times, times like this, Christmas can be really great for people, and it can be really horrible for people. You know, sometimes Christmas reminds us of all the good things, and, and we're, we're going to get to eat great food, and as we're going to get to eat some here in just a little bit, and, and we get to hang out with our friends and family, and there's just joy, and we get to see kids that are happy and open and this and doing that, but for some people, it reminds them of loss. A lot of people have lost loved ones in the last year, the last two years, the last three years, last four, and Christmas is like, man, you know, grandma's not going to be there this time. You know, she was always the one that made this, and I'm Really sad to miss her. She was who I could talk to about this. Or Grandpa, man, he was always solid. I always loved seeing him. Or Mom, she was always there for me. Dad, or maybe it's a child. And these times can be really tough on some people, and they need to know that there is a light in their darkness. Because some people aren't like us that have Christ, and I pray that everyone here does have Christ. If you don't, I'd love to talk to you after the service about what it means to have the light of life live inside of you. How amazing is that? But most of us here do, and that's why we're here, is to, is to learn more about the light of life. But they're mourning as those without hope. They're, they're mourning with there's no end in sight. There, there, there's there's no, nothing to ever help this pain. All they see is, is darkness. They don't see light, and you can offer them that light and help them to know there is a bigger plan that God is in control. He is sovereign, even though things look awful, even though the sin of this world is rampant, even though people die, and horrible things happen every day, that he is sovereign, he's in control, and you can give them that hope, and I pray that you do. I pray that you go, and you take those, and you hand them out to people, and you just say, Jesus loves you, and I do too. If you need anything, let me know, and you know, it doesn't have to be a huge, long conversation. God may open up some of those. God may not. Somebody may even put it in their drawer and six months later they they lost their spouse, they lost their mom, they lost their dad and they grab that light and they're like, wow. I remember that person coming over and they may come to you and talk to you at that point. We never know what God's going to do, but may we be obedient and may we be sharing the gospel with others, sharing the light. Uh, A city on a hill should not be hidden. We don't light a lamp and then we put it under something, right? The, the, The light should go for all to see and that should be us as well. We are we have the light of life that lives inside of us, and we shouldn't just hide it and suppress it. And be like, I don't want to be offensive, and that's the world we live in today. Oh, I don't, I don't want to offend somebody else that may have a different belief or no belief. No, I mean, how much do we have to hate people as we talked about last last week to not share that light? They need that light, and if we truly love them, then we should share it. Jesus came to save infidels, like us. Jesus came to save unbelievers and he wants to work in us and through us. Finally, we come to our final verse here in verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Don't you love that? His entire life from eight days old until he starts his ministry is one verse. He gets one verse. All this prophecy about his future coming and what he would do, you know almost this whole chapter, about half this chapter has been going back and forth between John the Baptist and, and Jesus and their their prophecies. But this one verse signals a change. We've seen this narrative going back and forth and back and forth, and now we're gonna see it stick, and it's gonna stick on Jesus Christ. That is the main theme of Luke's gospel. That is the main theme of life in general, the light of life. And may our lives look like what Jesus or what John the Baptist said about Jesus, even his own words in John three thirty, he must increase, but I must decrease. And pray our life is one verse that we loved and worshiped God. It's not about building our kingdom. It's not about building our resume of what we've done and keeping tallies and and tabs on everything that we do, but it's about Christ. And I pray that as we come to a close that we've seen that God works through individuals. He can work through you. He worked through me. He's been working through Zechariah, Elizabeth, even the people around that are going to the hillsides and telling people. We've seen that he can work through the nation of Israel, and and we've seen him do that. And as he's fulfilled his covenants, his, his promises, And finally, we have seen that God even works through infidels, even unbelievers. He can work to save us. We were all all doomed for destruction, yet because the light of life has shone upon us, we now have hope. We've been given the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. I pray that we've all accepted that, and again, if not, please come to me. Church, the sun has dawned, and the light has come. Let us glorify God and go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that the sun has dawned, that the light has come, that the light of this world has come so that we may not walk in darkness any longer. Lord, thank you for saving my soul. Thank you that even though I am a wretch, that you still love me and that you still died on the cross for my sins. God, I know that you've died on the cross for everyone's sins. But God, you, you do require one thing of us, and that is to repent of our sins, to turn from them, and to turn toward you. And I pray that if anyone has not done that today, that they do that. And God, I pray that we don't just stop by, by being saved, which is, which is wonderful, but you've given us a huge command, and that is to go into the gospel and proclaim salvation, to proclaim the gospel to other people, because so many others are, are walking around in darkness. They mourn as those without hope. And God, help us to continue growing closer to you through your word. Help us to continue uh, shining your light. And as we get ready for, for Christmas dinners, for just all the hustle and bustle of the next week, uh, before we come back next, uh, next Sunday, which is Christmas Day, praise the Lord. Um, this next week, I pray that we glorify you, that we make much of you, and that we spend some time throughout all this hustle and bustle to, to thank you, for what you've done, and to be other-centered and not just self-centered, like, what am I going to get? But may we think of others and, and see others that may be hurting, that may need a word of encouragement, that may need to see the light, and may we be willing to share that with them and love them through that. God, we thank you so much for, for bringing us out today, and Lord, uh, we just praise you and thank you and love you. Amen. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray for our food now um, before we go back there, because it's kind